Welcome to the Secret Lives of Chiropractors, where we get personal with chiropractic leaders, mentors, and influential entrepreneurs. And when I say personal, I mean really personal. So personal that the things they open up and hear about, they haven't shared anywhere else. Today, I had Marcus Chekos on here, and his childhood story is probably the most inspiring story I've heard um, here on these podcast series. He had a childhood injury, got bullied massively, got into a ton of trouble, and uh, it wasn't until years later where he really came around to himself. I loved his vulnerability because um, he has spoken on so many stages and done so much for chiropractic and for chiropractors. And uh, he shared at the beginning that um, when he first started to do speaking engagements or even Zoom interviews, he would literally cry um, if he had to do a Zoom interview. And obviously now he's just crushing it all over the world. So this is exactly the inspiration for Secret Lives of Chiropractors. I want to know the pain and the struggle that not only makes us human, but also inspires us to do more and to be more and of course serve more. Be sure to listen in all the way to the end because he shared something super unique about his routine and specifically about his uh, gratitude journal that I just found to be so cool. Uh, A little hint, it has to do with alignment. And uh, speaking on a, of alignment, uh, you know that I teach this concept in Elevate Club. I'm all about alignment, pun intended, no pun intended in all the ways. Uh, and I'll give you an example. It, you know, a lot of chiropractors or entrepreneurs will say, oh, I want money, but they also will show up at Starbucks and complain why they have to spend $5 on Starbucks. And you see your patients say they want health, but they're not showing up to their appointments or they're not sticking Uh, to their home care routines or or eating the way they should be. Uh, Or you might know somebody who says, I want a really connected marriage, but they refuse to do the work that it takes to, um, to work on themselves, to get rid of that avoidant style of attachment or whatever it is that they're doing. So sometimes these Uh, these ways that we are out of alignment, sometimes they have to do with they're super big and they're in your face. Like the examples I gave, and sometimes they're super small. Either way, you'll need to find what in what ways are you showing up out of alignment, whether it has to do with being out of alignment with abundance. Maybe you're showing up in alignment with scarcity. Maybe you're showing up out of alignment with health or vitality or Whatever the case might be, we have this workshop inside of Elevate Club where I teach you how to first recognize those. And then, of course, um, once you have awareness around it, but how do you shift it in such a way that your old patterns will not stop you from moving in the right direction, moving in the direction of abundance uh, or alignment in general. And if you haven't joined Elevate Club yet, you can go to www.elevate.com. Dot me and that is e-l-i-v-a-t-e dot me enjoy today's episode i know you are going to be moved uh, as i was and make sure you subscribe share like comment all the things and tune in to the next episode Hello and welcome to Secret Lives of Chiropractors. I am super excited because today I've got Dr. Marcus 
Chekas, who is a chiropractor with 25 years of clinical experience. Um, he is passionate about chiropractic philosophy and guarding our sacred trust. He has presented in the chiropractic, uh, he's presented chiropractic philosophy on multiple stages at the Philosophy Symposium, the Remarkable Practice Immersion, and a whole bunch of other events. He is also super passionate about not helping uh, research and, and nonprofits that are involved in chiropractic. I love that about him. Um, he's hosted so many different summits, clinical applications of chiropractic philosophy, pain to brain, neuroscience of chiropractic summit. We wouldn't have enough time to go through all the different summits that he has hosted over the years. And, um, the opportunities that these summits have created to fund chiropractic research. He also is the founder of Chiropractic Author uh, Mastery and teaches other chiropractors how to write, publish, and promote best-selling books that will help them grow their practices, which is pretty incredible. So thank you so much for being on the show with everything that you do. I know you are so busy, so this is so appreciated. Oh, look, I'm very grateful to be here, Dr. Nona, and this is just exciting to always have a conversation with you, and I can't wait. Awesome. Really cool. So as you know, Secret Lives of Chiropractors, I started this podcast because I, I was like, we already know how great you are, Marcus. Everybody loves you. You get on these stages, you know, a, a lot of chiropractic leaders in general, we get on the stages and, and you know, we say the things we say and we look a certain way and we present a certain way on social media, but I really wanted to get to know um, someone as incredible as you on a, on a personal level. So one of the first questions I'd love to ask is about your childhood. Would you tell me what, how you grew up and what kind of impact you growing up, growing up, whether it was like a struggle of childhood or the family dynamics or how good or how bad it was and how that has played a role in who Marcus is today? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can comfortably, perhaps not still confidently, but share the story of this upbringing because I think there's so many people have had challenges and adversities, but it has shaped who I am and what I've been able to achieve. So um, I, I often, when I get vulnerable with um, you know, practice members, I do tell them my, my story represents hope for them or their children because so many families come into our practices with you know, pain in their heart with a, maybe a child that's got behavioural difficulties or, or anxiety, depression, a whole host of other challenges they face and they feel a sense of hopelessness that, you know, this child is going to have this difficult life and nothing is going to work out for them and the family is going to be under stress forever. So I think for me, my story to the practice members as they come in and I share with them my own journey, that gives them a hope for that child, for the family dynamic. And so when I tell this story... You know, some people are quite shocked that, you know, we, we all have had our traumas and, and I'm no different. And I grew up in a principally European-based family, which is where, you know, my, my father would say, do as I say, not do as I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you, there was a lot of this is how life is. You just do what you're told. And at a young age, at an age of five, I had a burns injury. There was an explosion. Um, we were burning off rubbish. We lived in a small country town. And I was in the way and I was in hospital for six months, 66 stitches, third-degree burns. Um, you know, I, you, can, you can see that scar on the, if you're looking mm-hmm. at the visual. That's still there and, you know, several operations. I grew up 
basically fighting my way through school because kids can be pretty mean, kids can be pretty tough and you call a lot of names. So I was suspended more times than people turned up to school. Uh, And, you know, I averaged, and I'm not proud of it, a fight a week because, you know, people would, you know, tease you, call you names, and, well, you'd fight back. In that day, in those days, that's just what I did. I wasn't resourced well enough. My parents didn't know how to deal with it. They just simply said, you know, behave yourself and do the right thing and they didn't have the skills the tools or the knowledge to support me emotionally to understand the challenges I'd face uh, I was facing and because of that I just literally fought my way through school mm. and was always in trouble it was it was a pretty tough life it was a lonely life um, I, I felt a lot of um, isolation I also had a lot of anger and I'm a really calm person now and I, I feel a very um, benevolent, kind, caring person, but it certainly wasn't always that way. That's something I had to develop. That's something that was, I guess, learned. I mean, it's all it's within all of us, but it was learned until I overcame the pains of the past to, to embrace, um, you know, and have courage to, to be the best self that I could be, irrespective of the past. Mm, wow. So um, that's a lot to go through in childhood because I feel like most people I've talked to or I talk to, they share like bits of like 10% of that. That that is a lot. It's heavy. Um, would you say that the that period of time in your younghood, was that would you consider that the darkest, most struggling part of your life? Or did you have other struggles between then and now in your journey as a chiropractor or in your personal life too? Well that was a long struggle. That that went on week after week, month after month, year after year for a period of time. I mean, school was just a challenging period, but it certainly there's been no, no, there was no let up of that. Um, even uh, probably, I mean, I, uh, again, I went through dark periods where, um, you know, I fell in love and the, the, the lady who I fell in love with um, because I had been through so much and I still had so much anger um, well, she she made it clear that I didn't have the maturity to be in a relationship, and that was pretty you know, challenging to face as well. Um, and while she first embraced and understood and saw the person that I was, uh, and we you know began to relate to that point in time. Now we have long story short, they got back together. I used that catalyst of that breakup uh, as a way of growth, but mm. um, that that initially we both obviously you know. We, we ended up in a relationship and then she was like, yeah, no, you're, you're, you are not the type of person that I thought you were. I saw all these great things in you, but you have just so much baggage. You have so much pain. Mm. I just think I'm going to step aside from this relationship. And that was the catalyst really for my personal growth. In fact, I still remember at one point, and I say this because, again, it, it's hard to re- look back on this without some level of pain, but I remember actually bashing my head against the brick wall. I still have a really big lump at the back of my head wow. trying to knock myself out so that I didn't have to feel the emotional pain anymore. Wow. Um, and, I, and I actually split it a little bit and I went up to, I was a, um, in Sydney at the time after um, at chiropractic school, in fact, um, and then went to Concord Hospital and um, they also looked at that and then they said to, um, the, to go see 
the counsellor and that was a real turning point because he said, you know what, you have so much negativity in your life, I suggest you. It was really fascinating because this was a turning point without probably him realising it um, or maybe he knew the impact it was going to have. He said, turn off your TV, turn off your radio, stop reading newspapers. I want you to read a personal development book every week of your life that's going to put positivity into your mind and take some of the pain away of your heart because you have just got this well of pain Mm. Uh, you're going to have to surge at some point. And I took that literally. I sold my TV mm. straight up. I didn't pick up a newspaper. I ne- and I still to this day really don't do anything outside of that and have read a book a week probably for the last 27 years um, wow. that is growth-oriented, and this filled my cup. So, yes, there was more pain, but that pain often led to breakthrough. And even though I ended up breaking up, but getting back with um, Hannah, who's now been, I've been with for 33 years, other than a, a break in the middle there, um, she enrolled in chiropractic and I followed like a lost lamb, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. But again, there's, everything has led to who I am today and for all the pain for, you know, it's been a baptism of fire, but it's been a, a, a holy moment throughout my whole life of growth. Wow, that's that's incredible. What a what a great story. And I think um a lot of times you I, I hate to use a cliche, but like the greater the pain, the greater the growth. Doesn't always have to be that way, but it seems to be that way a lot of times. Like we don't really make a change, just like with patients, right? They don't necessarily make any changes and be like, all right, I'm committed to this chiropractic lifestyle unless, unless they are in a lot of pain or unless we become the mirror to show them just like Hannah did with you and the counselor did with you, right? They became the mirror. Like this is what you're going through. So, um, you do a lot of personal development, like a book a week is a lot. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to heal. (laughs) There's a lot to hand. Would you say that you still have self-doubt, like in all the projects that you do in practice, in your partnership, and all the things you do, do you feel like you still have self-doubt? You deal with that? Or anger or any of those things? I I have strengthened immeasurably in that. And I think the self-doubt often still exists. It exists to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. It's to a lesser extent because when you do the work and you reflect on your achievements, you can you can clear away some of that imposter syndrome. And you know, I still remember and my one of my first interviews for one of the summits happened to be Heidi Horvick. That was the first one I chose because I sat I I knew her from I did the Academy of Chiropractic Philosophers and we'd sat mm-hmm. down and had dinner together. And so I was so grateful to have had you know conversations with her and learned from her. I'd, I'd already enrolled in her academy before, so I was known to her, and I, she obviously knew her work very well. So when I did the neuroscience summit, which became the Paint to Brain um, Neuroscience of Chiropractic event, she was my first summit and um, interview, and she was so gracious. I had to re-record the introduction three times because I was not only so nervous; I honestly had this massive imposter syndrome. Like, who on earth am I to mm. interview this person? And she was so gracious because I was going, uh, hello, hi, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, can we just start again? She's like, why are you so nervous? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so none of this is on camera. It was horrific and mm-hmm. embarrassing. And I just really didn't know why I was there, what I was doing. And I was just so beautiful, so gracious. And 
we recorded it three times, as I said, until I got right. And it was it was very humbling, but it was also very empowering to say, well, I can do this. I, I know my neuroscience enough to have these conversations. Yeah. And then I, I remember then interviewing a little while later, Rob Malillo, and I remember getting off that call. Um, I didn't cry, but I sat down and I journaled. Uh, but I, and it felt like a cathartic experience when I thought I knew my neuroscience until I had a conversation with Rob Malillo. And I didn't know what questions to ask him at the end because I didn't really understand the level of thinking he was operating at. So I still had these moments of incredible self-doubt. What I did was I went and bought all Rob's books and I read them. And the next time I interviewed him, bang, I was on purpose. I was at the level of conversation that brought out the best both in him and the interview. And so that's when I realized, yes, there are times that we are not as good as we would like to be. There are times that we feel like we are not capable of delivering or we're imposters in what uh, opportunities we had before us. But we can either grow into that or we are better than we realize. And that's also something that took place throughout all of the interviews was, actually, I do know a lot. I, they, that nonfiction reading over 25 years equipped me to almost all of the interviews. But often you look at the negatives, the, the Rob Lilo and the Heidi Horvick interview, I just felt overwhelmed. But as I sat into my own personal power, my knowledge and my experience, I realized that, yeah, I am on the same level as these people. I've just got to recognize that within myself and sit in that place of personal power. So, yes, we get self-doubt. Yes, we're uncomfortable. Early in my career, and I remember speaking with a wonderful chiropractor in America who's spoken on a number of my platforms, and she was messaging me. Uh, after uh, she went off to one of the amazing events that you guys have over in the States. And I, I just let her know, I used to hide in the toilets at breaks during seminars and conferences because I was so intimidated and uncomfortable in group settings. Yeah. In breakout sessions, you meant to go and network, you meant to go and speak with people, you meant to go and you know, hang out with your colleagues. Well, I'd hide in the toilet and pretend that you know I needed to go to the toilet for 20 minutes during break time so that I didn't have to face those uncomfortable scenarios of being in group settings. And so I have had a lifetime of feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. But that's something that you work on, that you develop and you overcome. And now I see he's speaking to the incredible people of the world, like Dr. Nunjavir, this is incredible. This is like a dream come true speaking with you, a great opportunity. And you do that because you desire enough to overcome your own self-doubt, your own seed limitations, and you claim your power to live more fully and completely. Wow, I love that. And I love that you share all of that because like I said at the beginning of this conversation, there's so much that is, especially in today's world, when you look at social media and you see certain things and, um, you know, in some ways I would say probably, I, I wouldn't speak for all of us, but like for myself, like guilty adding to the the fire of like what you are uh, putting out there on social media versus the, uh, versus describing the challenges and the struggles. Like there's there, so there is value in there's so much value in this conversation of you saying that because chiropractors will see you, Marcus, and they're like, "Look at him! He's doing all these summits, super successful, writing all these books, helping chiropractors write books, um, raising money for non you know, you doing all of these things." Yet this is something that not only the struggles that you have gone through, but also on day-to-day basis, we all go through and just kind of overcome. Now, I'm curious if you have like a morning routine or like a ritual that 
um, gives you like a good starting point. It doesn't have to be in the morning, but do you have anything like that that is helpful that might help, help somebody who's listening? Yeah, I've always had, I think, uh, a, a ritual of very focused um, beginning for the day. Well, I've learned this from all the great books that I've read and, and the mentors that I've had. And you know, I start the morning with the devotional reading. Uh, and at the moment, it's a, you know, a one that's really focusing on um, mindset and keeping your mind focused on impact and service. So mm-hmm. I, I, I read my devotional. Um, I will set myself for the day with you know, mindfulness and be just becoming really present. And having done this for so long, it's now habituated. So every moment becomes that moment of being present, being connected, present time consciousness, a great chiropractic principle, a life principle. Mm-hmm. And so I start my days that way. And, you know, there's the, the constant reaffirming of, of who I am and, and my purpose and mission. And they're, they're the ways, it's a, it's a shorter, more simple process I spend most of my um, time of ritual is afterward because I start work at, you know, 7.30. It's actually this week at 7.30 for the last two weeks. Prior to that, it's been 7 o'clock start, 7 a.m. with clients. So my morning rituals are shorter. It's my afternoon, evening rituals when I finish practice that I dive more deeply into. And that's when I will I'll take out my gratitude journal. And I my most expensive book in my library is my gratitude journal, and it's blank. It mm. is um, hand-printed paper, mm. it is, um, handmade leather embossed, and it's just this beautiful bound document that has been handmade. It's unreasonably expensive, but I figure if my most expensive book is my gratitude book and I invest deeply into the gratitude I have for the experiences in life that I have, then that's a, that's a deep investment. So then I go into my gratitude when I finish um, the day, and you know, I'm grateful for the practice, the grateful for the opportunity to serve and contribute. I'm grateful for my relationships, all of these things. And so I invest into my gratitude. I'm then deep into my prayer. And, you know, I, I have my action list. And so I've, I've got my goals list, which I, I plan my year and I you know, chunk it to quarter, go monthly, and I win. I look at my week and then I win the day. So when I then I look at my day list to make sure, is there anything I need to act on now to ensure that I'm moving the direction of the vision that I have for my life? And I, I keep it as a palm card so that I can tick it off. And I have got this like, you know, it's probably about 30 centimetres worth of accumulated palm cards of my action steps uh, for the vision that I have for my life. So I'm constantly reflecting and envisioning what I want and making sure that I'm moving in the direction of that. That's beautiful. I um, think that everyone keeps talking about the morning routine, but more and more um, in the past series of interviews I have done and just talking to a lot of successful entrepreneurs, sure, there's the morning routine and it's great to start your morning that way, but it doesn't always work out for people. And I've now have been exposed to the idea of um, doing an afternoon routine or doing a nighttime routine or wherever it fits into your schedule or having multiple routines and rituals. And I love, love the fact of what you said about the gratitude journal, because I mean, if that's not the definition of alignment and like putting out there that this is, I value this, I spend a lot of money, you know, money is energy. So I'm spending a lot of energy on this book, both physically, like writing down your goal, your um, things, your gratitude, grateful for, but also the value of the book. I love that so much. That's beautiful. So speaking of gratitude, and now let's go to the opposite side of gratitude, well, not quite exactly the opposite, but what is it that 
upsets you? What is it that annoys you, frustrates you? Like what, what's something that is like a pet peeve or pisses you off? Well, if you go back to the younger version of me, everything I was, I identified with the Billy Joel song, Angry Young Man. Mm. And yeah, that, that was, I, I still love that song and the piano interlude introduction to that. It's just, uh, I, I just feel that. And, and when I do reflect on who I was, like that angry young man, I, I was angry at everything and you could trigger me very, very easily. Mm-hmm. The work that I've done means that there's very little that offends me, upsets me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the, the conflict between within the profession, between chiropractors people seem to get so upset at you know a, a broad scope chiropractor saying something that a narrow scope chiropractor doesn't like and so there's this war of chiropractic that that doesn't actually even upset me i love every chiropractor even if they have a different view opinion or even belief system to me i'm still going to love them and include them in my life so if there is anything that annoys me or irritates me now i would suggest it is my children's ability to still be able to evoke a response that seems unreasonable and irrational because I care and love too much in respect to what I want for them, what I feel for them. And and when they go through things, uh, yeah, you would be hard-pressed any other person outside of my family to trigger me in any way. I have done the work. I'm okay. And my children can still, however... They have that power, don't they? They have. They are. They are. I, I don't have any words other than I just love them so much and want the absolute best for them. And when they make choices that are inconsistent with what I know they are capable of, or or the direction that they are moving is counterproductive for the the vision that we have discussed that they want for their life. Because I can't have the vision for them. They sure. still manage to 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 provoke a oh my gosh response from me and. <laughs> That comes from a place of love, but it also comes from a place I've still got to get work harder at letting go and giving them the independence to make their choices and not feel like I have to bear the burden and weight of their choices upon my own in my own heart. And yeah. just accept sometimes they're going to go through pain and I can't, you know, ameliorate their pain any more than um, you know, I can I can fix the chiropractic profession. Yeah. And, and I would agree with that in terms of like a big pet peeve, because I talk to chiropractors all the time and I, they like, you see their potential. I see my children are young, so I'm not quite there yet with them. I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. I'm sure in their teenage years, they'll all start to feel that way. But I feel that way about a lot of people in my life where I'm able to see their potential and it's like, come on, like, let's go. Like, I see where you can be. And I will say this, that that's probably the number one thing that annoys me about me is I know where my potential is, right? Anything you see in other people, it's kind of a reflection to some degree to yourself. But I could see that with the kids. So they totally have that power on us. So Marcus, um, if you were to go back and like change something or... Um, do more of something, less of something, or if there's something you regret or something now you know and you would do things differently, what would that what would that be? What would that look like? I, I really love this question because I've been fascinated by this very question and asked this of so many people. And the frequent answer is, well, I love what I have now. I wouldn't change anything. And I don't I don't actually hold that to be true. I look back on my life and think, where I am now, yes, I love it. 
And the service I'm providing to the profession is so fulfilling. Uh, I am more passionate now as a chiropractor than I was when I first graduated. And I look back at the missed opportunities and I still see them as missed opportunities. I don't lament them because I can't change it. But if I could change it, I would, one, have got into coaching so much earlier in my career and stopped learning by the school of hard knocks and learned by the school of past experience. Mm -hmm. I would have been not only coaching, I would have had mentors. I would have joined mastermind groups. I would have had leaders teaching me what I needed to know because I feel like now in my 50s, I'm doing some great things for the profession. But I really wish, I really wish that I had in my earlier days invested in the coaching. And I remember early in my days, I did do a coaching program and the particular coach, and I say respectfully, because I love my American coaches now, and I've had um, some some great thought leaders uh, influence me. But in Australia, we, we don't normally, certainly when I was younger, we don't normally have the very upfront, this is how you're going to do things, quite aggressive approach. And so 25 odd years ago, I did have an American coach uh, interviewed me and he said, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. If you're not going to do it my way, don't waste my time. Mm. Well, I never called him back. And so I thought, well, that's coaching. I'm not going to do that for the next 15 years of my life. Mm. Uh, and so I missed that opportunity because I didn't realize just because you don't resonate with one coach doesn't mean that, that you should blanket every coach with that. And so I I grew my practice to be very successful, but gee, I did it the hard way without mm. knowing what success could look like and the pathways of success and knowing the success leaves clues, mm. I didn't get that until way too long into my career. So if I could go back, I'd have my mentor mm-hmm. and Dr. Nona is a rock star at that. And, you know, I would go back and I'd be having these conversations with you. I would be immersing myself in your knowledge, your wisdom, your insight so that I could accelerate my opportunities. And then I would be involved in you know, other elements of the profession a lot earlier. I'm now on the board of the Australian Spinal Research Foundation. Why was I not doing this 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. And maybe I didn't have the knowledge or the skills or I was still insecure and uncertain of myself. And I can say that, you know, I didn't do it because I had those reservations back then about my own abilities. But if I could go back in time, I'd have done the work quicker so that I could get to where I am sooner so I can have a bigger influence and serve at a greater extent. I wish, I wish, I wish I could go back and accelerate everything instead of have taken so long to get here. Yeah, I, I love that. I would probably, I never thought about it that way. Like I never thought about my regret being not having enough mentors, but I think that that might, I might steal that one because I think it is true. And just, you're so sweet for all the things that you said about me, but I do think like have it being surrounded by the right circle of influence, being surrounded by the right kind of mentors. And it's a lot of times it's a matter of resonance, right? Like the chiropractor, you do, the coach you talked to, it just wasn't a matter of resonance, but we put the frame of previous experiences onto the next person. And we're like, Oh, it must not, it must not be the thing or it must not work. So I, I've definitely, uh, a, a firm believer that if you have the right coaching and if you, you know, if you resonate with that person, you trust them and you work together, you're able to make quantum leaps. So that's a, that's a really good one. Thank you for that. Um, Marcus, some uh, rapid questions. Uh, did you have a childhood nickname? Chucky. Chucky. Yeah, they apparently, I looked like that Chucky doll because of my scarretry, and I'm not saying I liked that uh, nickname, but oh. I got Chucky. That's cute. Okay. Um, what, kind, what kind of car do you drive? 
You know what? This is a really interesting question. I have somebody asked me. I was I was interviewed the other day, and um, by my CA for for our on in, in practice, uh, and I, I really need to bring this conversation in because my answer. I know it's a rapid question, but I I have to give this. I've always either driven a secondhand Mazda or a secondhand Prius uh, because I worked three days a week. I love the part-time millionaire philosophy so that I could invest so deeply into my family. So I always said, I don't need a $120,000 car because I'd rather work part-time and serve my family and invest in them rather than material possessions. So, but then my parents-in-law bought me a Mercedes-Benz as a present because they said, why are you driving these secondhand beaten up cars? And I said, well, it's good enough for Sam Walton, it's good enough for me, but now I drive a Mercedes <laughs> as a gift because I wouldn't buy it for myself. That is awesome. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing wrong about having both a $150,000 car and also giving to your family and providing for your family. Um, I love this question because it brings out so many different aspects of, uh, you know, of, of this person, right? Like the kind of car you drive oftentimes says at least something about you, or it just happens to be a fun conversation. So I've had a lot of fun conversations around this question. Um, let's see, what about, what kind of student were you in school? I know you had, um, you know, a troubled, uh, sort of time while you were in school, but were you an A student? Were you an F student? Did you also fail academically, even like say college? So at the, at the early stages, I was definitely not a strong student. I did well, but not excelling. When I got to the university, I failed Biochemistry, chemistry, I failed biochemistry, academically wasn't strong, but as soon as I hit the clinical subjects, I became top of the class as soon as it was all about clinical and the board exam, I was equal top mark in the board exam when I graduated as a chiropractor. So I went from low level performance to medium level performance to top level performance, the more chiropractic it became. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I've heard a lot of chiropractors in the interviews. They're like, once I got into chiropractic school, because I loved it so much, I just became a good student basically. Um, all right. Really cool. So tell us what is new and exciting. You and I were talking before the recording started, you have some really exciting things that are coming up. So tell us about that. And then maybe tell everybody where they can connect with you, how they can connect with you and, and things like that. Yeah, look, there is so many things that everyone should be able to just tell an exciting story. I actually enter my practice saying, say, tell me the new and exciting news for this week. And people are like, I really should prepare for my first uh, conversation with you because I don't have any new and exciting news, but I'll have some for you next week. So I think everybody should challenge themselves to be having, you know, I love Helen Keller as a quote, you know, um, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And, um at the moment, I am working on. So, by the time this airs, there will be a chiropractic movie. Uh, I am calling. Um, it's called. It's a. It's a based on man's greatest gift to man chiropractic. The book by Frank DiGiacomo, and we've brought together some some wonderful thought leaders to share what the gift of chiropractic is, and in, in so many many different dimensions, and then to build the framework of the the history, science, art, philosophy, and political landscape of chiropractic so that we can have a universal understanding of this beautiful profession. And to be honest with you, it has been everything I have done up until this point, not just in terms of the summits that I've done, but what I have learned as a chiropractor has prepared me for these conversations that has led to this docu-series and movie. It's a, it's a dual process of docu-series 
with the interviews, but movie where we've taken out the gifts part of chiropractic. It is without doubt one of the most inspiring experiences of my entire life, not just career, life. The conversations were a gift to my heart and an inspiration to my mind. And to be able to bring this to the profession, I think is a rich, meaningful experience. So yeah, man's greatest gift to man. You can go to, the link will be on chiropracticeducationonline.com. That's where um, I host and house the, the platform for my summits. And I believe every chiropractor who watches that will be re-inspired, reinvigorated, or elevated in their inspiration to serve humanity through chiropractic. And it was a beautiful coming together for you know, chiropractic, the movie. I cannot wait to watch it. And we are going to have the link in the show notes. So for I highly recommend you guys connect with Marcus and uh, check out the link and check out the movie and check out all the summits and all the really cool things that he's doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for giving me this time. It was so incredible to get to know you, Marcus, a little bit on a personal level. And I know for a fact for me, this conversation was absolutely valuable. So I know that somebody else is going to listen in and they're going to have so many little nuggets from it. So I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Nona. I appreciate you and you are such an incredible servant to our profession. And uh, I just have such a, an admiration, appreciate and respect for you. So thank you and everyone. Yeah. You know how what BJ said, I love you because you love what I love. And we have such a profound opportunity to serve humanity. Let's go change the world together, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching or listening to the secret lives of chiropractors and make sure you tune in for the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some applicable nuggets to quantum leap your life and your practice. Be sure to subscribe to this channel and be the first to know when we release our next guest here on secret lives of chiropractors. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Nona Javid, D-J-A-V-I-D, to keep up with my not-so-secret life. And um, check out Elevate Club at www.elevate.me, and Elevate is spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-E. We'll see you at the next episode.